Welcome to a 2015 Traumatic Brain Injury Consumer Conference podcast, sponsored by Kessler Foundation and Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation. Guest speaker, Bill Gallagher, PT, CMT, CYT. East-West Rehab presents Optimizing Brain Injury Recovery. This presentation was recorded on Thursday, September 24, 2015, and was hosted by the Northern New Jersey Traumatic Brain Injury System with support from the National Institute of Disability Independent Living and Rehabilitation Research, Administration for Community Living, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Washington, D.C., grant number H133A120030030. We're going to go back to Bill Gallagher, who's a holistic physical therapist who's developed a uniquely integrative approach to help people suffering from pain and disability. By integrating the physical therapy traditions of the East with an effective and synergistic combination of therapies from the West, Bill has helped many of his clients maximize function and minimize pain. So please welcome back Bill Gallagher. Thank you. So, at any moment, all of our minds are asking, there's a part of our, our brain that, that, that's asking this question, am I safe? And you know, it, if that corner of the room started caving in, we'd all, hit, you know, the, the, the answer would be no, and we'd all have a stress response. We'd all have a response that would, as long as we didn't you know, trample anybody, it would help us get out the door faster. It would help us survive. If I was standing up here and suddenly had a 10 out of 10 pain in my right lower abdominal area, that would be a sign that I wasn't safe either, and I would have a stress response from that. Um, so you know, if the answer is no, I'm going to have a fight or flight response. If the answer is yes, I'm going to go towards a more relaxed state or stay in that relaxed state. Um, if I'm having a fight or flight response, I'm going to put all optimistic long-term projects on the back burner. Neither of these beings is putting any energy into digesting the last meal they ate. Neither one is fighting, putting energy into fighting whatever cold virus the other you know, bowl blew in their face or the, the matador was exposed to. Neither of them is laying down new brain cells to, to solidify something they learned yesterday. No long-term optimistic projects would make sense to put any energy into right now. All that it would make sense to is let's try and survive the next three seconds, five seconds, 10 seconds. So it's a very short term, you know, uh, very helpful, but you know, only when, we're, when our, we're threatened this way. Most of the time when we're having a fight or flight response, there's no, there's no bowl that's goring us. There's, nothing, there's nobody who's mugging us. There's nothing, there's nothing that, that's helpful for me to put all those long-term optimistic projects on the back burner for. You know, the example I use is if my boss at Mount Sinai comes to me with a piece of paperwork that I didn't do properly, I will have a hint of a, of a stress response from that probably. And it's not doing me any good. 
You know, the less of that I have, the better job I do at hearing what he's saying and, and do the paperwork better next time. He's not going to hit me. Running away is not going to be helpful here. All the stuff that my body would tend to do in that fight or flight response isn't helping me in that situation. Um, and it's, you know, there's certainly situations where it is helpful. None of us would be here if our ancestors let her foot go too close to the fire for too long. She wouldn't survive to pass on the gene, her genes on to us. So, you know, it, it's really helpful, but you know, for people who are dealing with any big medical event, it's, it's not helpful. It's not helpful to be in this constant fight or flight response. And it's, and it's very, um, you know, w when all those uh, dominoes are on the floor, you know, it's hard to not be continually looking, you know, looking at your life and seeing dominoes on the floor. Uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to not get caught up in that often. Great book, um, if, if you want to read more about this, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And, you know, think of a... You know, and in your, in, in, in your mind, you know, why wouldn't a zebra get ulcers or other stress-related illnesses? You know, you, it, a picture of the zebra out on the plains, chewing the grass, chewing and eating the grass. It's perfectly calm. It's putting energy into all those long-term optimistic projects. It learned something yesterday. It's putting down a new brain cell to solidify that. It's working on the virus. It's working on digesting the grass it's eating. Then, bam, something happens. It smells a tiger. It sees a tiger. It hears it. Or maybe it just sees quick movement out of the corner of its eye. But it goes. 180 degrees into fight-or-flight response. Shuts down digestion, puts the blood in the muscles and in the brain where it's going to help it run faster, hit harder if the thing catches up. And the, the zebra runs, 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 and if it's lucky, eventually it gets the feeling, you know, the sense that, ah, the lion is not chasing me anymore. And what does the, what does the zebra do then? Does the zebra worry about there's an increasing incidence of these, of these lion attacks? Does the zebra worry about Joe, who's being disemboweled right now by the, ze by, by the tiger, you know, the unlucky zebra? Is, is the zebra uh, worried about whether there's going to be enough rain this rainy season for the, for the baby zebras to survive? Does the zebra have thoughts like that? It doesn't have the capacity to go into the future or into the past. So when the, when the threat is gone, it goes right back to eating and digesting the grass. It, does, it can't worry about another tiger. It can't replay the trauma of you know, watching Charlie have his bowels ripped out by the tiger. But we can. We can go into the future, we can go into the past, we can endlessly replay the traumatic movie of the thing that didn't go the way we wanted it to go. We can imagine the terrible, the most embarrassing thing happening over and over again in the, in the future. We have the cognitive capacity to do that. Um, when we're pulling our mind away from that, 
our muscle tension goes down. Pain is going, is, is likely to be, be eased. If I've got, you know, skin breakdown or I'm at risk of skin breakdown, well, part of the fight or flight response is less blood in the skin, let's keep it deeper in the muscle. So if it gets a hunk out of me, the tiger, I'm likely to bleed less. Uh, the immune response works better. Less blood clotting. You know, mo I'm way, way more of my patients are on, on blood thinners than on blood thickeners. Um, uh, and the biggest thing in my world is skill acquisition and performance. Do you learn well when you're freaking out? You know, is that a, is that a good mindset to acquire a new skill? No. You have to be, I mean, the best mindset for acquiring a new skill is playful exploration. You know, that's where we learn our best, not I got to get this and I got to get this now. You know, I should have gotten it already, but I got to get it now. That is not a helpful mindset for me learning the new skill or getting better at what I'm working at. Now, uh, relaxation has its place. But not everybody, and not all the time, could use more relaxation. You know, uh, you know, we're all on a spectrum now somewhere between drowsy, the meal might have pulled you in a drowsy direction, to panic. Um, and you know, for, to me, at my best function, I want to be at this sweet spot. You know, hopefully, you know, here's another way to think about it. Here's my, a graph of my performance versus my arousal or stress. Now, if you all showed up at my apartment last night at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, Bill, we'd like you to give the talk on meditation a little bit early, I wouldn't have done a very good job. No caffeine on board, sleep momentum, it wouldn't have been pretty. I would not have done a good job. Now, if instead of having lunch, you know, I drank 16 cups of coffee or took some crystal meth, I'd be too wound up to do a good job here. I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd be way over aroused. Hopefully, I'm somewhere in this comfort zone. So if you know that you're over here, you know, and, and almost by definition, if I'm working with somebody in the hospital, they're over here, and plenty of people on an outpatient unit are over here too, you know, doing things that bring you back, that unwind you, is a really helpful thing to do. You know, and ha you know, having a t some tools in your toolbox that you can reliably bring yourself back on that arousal stress, or if we go back here on this idea, if I'm here, well, how can I bring myself back there? And we've, the, the meditation is certainly part of it. There are certainly one one way to work on that. Now, my first meditation teacher was also my first kung fu teacher. He wasn't teaching me meditation to make me more relaxed. He was teaching me meditation so that if, I was being, if somebody was trying to hurt me, I could focus on exactly what I needed to focus on in that moment. If I needed to use the art for self-defense, the mind is very important. You know, if my mind is, oh, I should have done this more when somebody's trying to hurt me, that's not going to let me see what they're doing, feel what they're doing, respond to it. 
Um, and for a long time in the hospital at Mount Sinai, I was kind of framed as the relaxation guy. And working, teaching meditation and other, you know, similar, you know, like-minded disciplines to people with brain injuries taught me that I had overemphasized relaxation in my own practice. You know, the, I don't think the biggest upside of meditation is necessarily relaxation. It's more about being able to put your mind where you want it to be and keep it there. That's kind of an important thing to be able to do anything, whether it's playing Monopoly to interviewing for a job or a, or, or a volunteer position to being with somebody, you know, being with a family member who's going through a hard time. All those activities require being in the present, being able to focus where, you know, not letting my mind drag me all over the place. So the focus, I mean, that, you know, I, if there's one big message about meditation that I would like to get across to you today, think of it as an exercise to improve your focus as its primary, you know, the primary action that, that it, it can deliver you. And my recommendation is do it for five, if you like this idea, if this makes sense to you, I would recommend doing it for five minutes every day. And I would tell other people in your life, uh, your significant other, friends, here's my plan. You know, put it on your calendar and do it, you know, try to make that, that a habit. You know, just like you brushed your teeth this morning without debating, eh, are they that dirty? You know, can I get away without doing, doing my teeth today? No, you just did it. And if you, if you hemmed and hawed about brushing your teeth every morning, that wouldn't be conducive to making sure you brush your teeth. If you can hook the meditation habit onto another habit that's already established, that is a, is a good recipe for doing it. Another recipe for getting yourself to do it is pay attention to what you feel while you're doing it. There's, there's, there's evidence that when people do something that's good for them, like exercise, they're not doing it because intellectually they know it's good for them. They're doing it because they crave the feeling that it brings on. So paying attention, you know, whether it's the meditation or the, the Tai Chi practice that I'll show you in a bit, uh, Paying attention to those sensations is key to priming the pump to developing a practice that you do consistently. I recommend five minutes because it's hard to argue against five minutes. You know, you think, you know, sort of there's a committee in the mind that says, you know, meditate? I've got much better, you know, let's watch CNN instead. You know, let's, 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 uh, let's take a nap. You know, like anything but meditate, it, it's much easier to get the, the habit established if you start modestly, five minutes. You know, and set the timer, and there'll be a part of your mind that comes up with an excellent reason why three and a half minutes is plenty. Expect that to happen. It's a distracting thought. Bring it back to the breath. So this Tai Chi practice, this is uh, 
the first thing that my first Kung Fu teacher taught me. And I thought that it was the, the, the stuff that I had to make like I was really doing so that my teacher would think that I was serious so that he'd teach me the real stuff, which was about fighting. And now I know that this is the most important thing the guy taught me. Uh, it's the thing that I teach, mo you know, the, the, of the Tai Chi curriculum, the thing that I teach my patients the most. Um, so feel free to bow out, but if, if, if it's okay, if it seems like an okay idea for you today, come up to standing and let me talk you through it. So, standing with your feet about shoulder width apart, you know, somewhere between hip and shoulder, and, and make it feel natural. You can play with it a little, a little more narrow, a little wider. And it, if it, unless it causes some problem, like pain, keep your toes straight forward. The reason for the straightforward toes is it makes it easier to keep the knees in a good position. Uh, most people tend to be a little bit knock-kneed where the knees roll in. If you're in that category, roll them out slightly so that they're pointing in the same direction as the toes and soften the knees so the knees are not locked. And now I'll say that's a rule in Tai Chi. You never lock any joint. So if I'm punching, it doesn't end there, it ends there. So knees are soft, the hips are also flexed. So here's me bending my knees without folding in the hips. I think you could see, if you, if you can see me in profile, it wouldn't be hard to push me over right here. So to fix that, if I fold in the hip joints, and if you put your hands right in these creases, that'll help you get a sense of, oh, am I folding over them? That puts my head over my pelvis. I don't want to be leaning back, which people, people are more likely to lean back than to lean forward when they're doing this, in my experience. The tailbone. Imagine you've got a very heavy weight tied to it and you want to let it drop down. I need to relax my low back for that to happen. The other end of the spine, the back of the skull. Imagine there's a balloon tied there and I want to let that balloon float up by letting the head roll forward and release up. So I've got this, the weight pulling my tailbone down, the balloon pulling the skull up, so the whole spine is lengthening from both directions. And one version of it is just like this, letting the arms rest by the side. The other version is called the embrace posture. So as if I'm reaching around a tree or a barrel. I'm letting my sternum, my breastbone, relax down, and the elbows are lower than your shoulders. So, and the hands are about shoulder level. And if for some reason this is hard for you, it's anywhere in here is fine. 
So the, hand, the hands, it can be like, you know, your Santa Claus holding your belly up to right in front of your chest. For a moment, lift your elbows so they're higher than the, than the hands and notice how that feels. Probably not great in the shoulders. Let the elbows drop down so that they're below the hands, below the shoulders. Tongue lightly touching the roof of the mouth. And the gaze past the hands forward and down. Breathing as if your lungs were in the low back. Using the time while you're inhaling to broaden and expand the body. It's like the whole body's uh, hollow and you're just going to expand the whole thing a little bit on the inhale, especially the low back area. And on the exhale, using that time to visualize and allow unnecessary tension to drain through the bones down into the ground. So I will do this version in public on the subway platform. My wife, if she's with me, makes believe she doesn't know who the crazy guy is. <laughs> uh, but most people, I, most people, I don't expect to do this. But this one, uh, you know, which, you know, I've got this rounded idea up here. You can let there be a little bit of that rounded idea to the arms also here. You know, this you could do while you're waiting for the elevator. You could do it while you're waiting for the public transportation. They have public transportation out here, some, don't they? <laughs> uh, you could, uh, you know, you're waiting for the microwave. You're waiting to, to warm up dinner tonight. Anytime you've got a, a moment where you, you're just waiting, yeah, you're waiting online you can go into a version of this. And as long as the knees are, are not locked, it, you don't have to be low. Like, you know, like this, it takes a lot more work to stay here than it is to stay here. Both of them are correct. So you get to decide how hard you're gonna make it for yourself, but as long as the knees are soft and you're dropping the tailbone, you know, all the other alignments, you're doing it. So, I just sit back down. Questions about about what we just did? Yeah. Let, let me come closer so I can hear. Uh huh. Sure. Um, in. Uh, this practice is not strictly a Tai Chi practice. It's part of all the, all the Chinese internal martial arts use this as, a, as at least a stepping stone. And the two qualities or, or, or abilities that it, it's considered to improve, one is the Chinese language it as rooting. 
I gave you, uh, it, it's considered, you know, it, it, translating that into, into rehab language, balance. It improves balance. You know, it, if, in, you know, on one level, if my knees are locked and my hips are extended, my center of gravity is higher, that as soon as I do this, I lower my center of gravity. So you don't have to get too esoteric to see that, well, if I get used to staying down a little bit, that's gonna instantly improve my balance. You know, if, we, if, if there was an ice storm out there while we, were at, while we were here today, we would all, anybody who could do it, would go down a bit to improve their balance on the ice. So that's one biggie. And, and if you look at the, I should say, if you look at the literature on Tai Chi and balance, it is very, very strong. And the biggest study done to date uh, where they looked at what's the best way to prevent falls in elders who are, are at risk of falling, Tai Chi was number one. Individualized physical therapy was number two. The Tai Chi was taught in a group. Giving the PT one-on-one -on -one time with the patient was not quite as good. And in every way that we've looked at, you know, we can measure balance, we've seen Tai Chi improve it. The other quality or, or ability that it, that it develops is explosive power. Um, for me to stand in this posture for a long time, I need to find ways to connect the body that aren't obvious instantly. You know, I was, last weekend I was in a, a, a martial arts workshop in a similar style to Tai Chi, and the first thing the teacher had us do was stand here for a half an hour. 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there. You know, this is a very similar practice. Um, you know, it, it's a stepping stone to what I just demonstrated that the teacher had us do. But, you know, a class of 30 people stood in that posture for 30 minutes. And that is considered an important part of building explosive speed and power in that martial art. And all the martial arts that use it consider it to be a, an important piece for that, that angle, too. And it counts as meditation. I mean, if the whole time I'm standing here um, thinking I can't do this another moment, you know, that, that's not, you know, it, or, or, um, or um, uh, you know, if my mind is bouncing all over the place, that's going to make it a whole lot harder to relax into it. Um, so, it, you know, all the stuff that I said about a sitting meditation, the, the standing meditation works on those things as well. Uh, we're not going to do a walking meditation, but uh, anytime you find yourself walking in an environment that's not difficult for you, paying attention to the actual act of walking can be very settling for the mind. Now, if you go to a, a, a meditation retreat, you know, a 10-day meditation, re silent meditation retreat, you can't sit all day doing meditation. You know, the typical way that kind of retreat is run is you meditate for an hour, you do walking meditation for an hour. You meditate sitting for an hour, walking for an hour. 
or a half an hour. So uh, it, it's a way that you can settle the mind, you can use the action of walking, the, the sensation of walking as a way to, it, it, as a, an object of focus, the same way I had you use the breath this morning. It's also a way, if you've got little glitches in your gait pattern, to become more aware of, well, you know, what exactly are those, and let me play with another way of walking. You know, let me explore, you know, it, it, you know if, I, if I slow it down a little bit and, and have a playful attitude towards this, can I smooth that out a little bit? Um, and I alluded to this, you know, when I talked about the, the eating meditation, but, you know, anything that you're doing, can, you can focus your mind at and you can rest it on it. You know, last night when I was washing the dishes at home, uh, you know, I could have thought about all the cool stuff that I get to do when I'm done washing the dishes or, uh, you know, all the work I have to do when I'm done washing the dishes or, you know, how, you know, how many more times I've washed the dishes than my daughter's washed the dishes or I could just rest my mind on the actual, you know, washing the dishes was not challenging and being in that moment of washing the dishes is a rest for the mind. And so anything, whether it's an exercise or an activity, you know, you can, that you can focus your mind on, uh, you know, exercises, oh, and, and symptoms. You know, let's say you have spasticity uh, in a limb. Uh, letting those symptoms be there in the moment is likely to let that spasm pass more quickly than being in the mindset of, oh my God, I'm in public and I'm having this spasm, make it go away. You know, that second line of thinking is more likely to perpetuate it, whereas letting it be there, whether it's spasticity, whether it's pain, whether it's a, a, a memory issue, you know, you know, letting it, what's there be there, you know, is, uh, uh, a way to keep your mind from making the whole thing worse. You know, it's possible to have a whole lot of pain and zero suffering. It's also possible to have a teeny bit of pain and a lot of suffering. You know, and the way the mind wraps itself around it, you know, if, if, we're, if you can be let the pain be there. Now, listen to it as if it were an, a distinguished, invited guest. That is a, often a much more fruitful way to deal with severe pain than trying to make it go away, trying to, to uh, you know, make believe it's not there. Yoga. Uh, my taste in yoga is gentle. Uh, and, you know, the, the coolest part of yoga to me is actually the philosophical piece. Uh, you know, yogis will tell us that attachment isn't one of the sources our, of our suffering, it's the source of our suffering. Uh, attachment to being, things being a certain way. 
attachment to, I mean, you know, open up the paper and you can see people being attached to money, to sex, to power causes a whole lot of problems in their lives. Uh, and in my work, attachment to ideas, like the idea that I should not experience pain is not a helpful idea. Attachment to I should not have a brain injury is not, you know, that, that doesn't get us anywhere. You know, my, uh, you know, most of my work is around, okay, you're here, I wanna help you, you know, improve function up to here. Uh, accepting what is the reality right now is a much more stable platform to build from. It's not giving up at all. It's a very powerful place to be. This is the reality now. Where do I go? If I don't acknowledge where I am now, you know, if, if I have a memory issue and I don't get that I have a memory issue, the OT cannot teach me skill, ways to compensate for that. It's not gonna go anywhere. I need to own that I have that memory issue for me to work through, well, where, you know, what am I gonna use to, to smooth out that issue? Uh, anybody have a guess what this image represents in, uh, in yogic thought or Eastern thought in general? Close. Yeah. Mandala? It, it's the ego. It's the ego. In, in, in Eastern thought, the yogic and Taoist thought at least, um, the ego is the thing that separates us from, you know, that, that, or that creates the illusion that we're separate. You know, and the yogic view is that we're all connected in some way. You know, that, that, you know, my skin doesn't separate me from the world, my skin connects me to the world. Uh, and, and again, yoga, I think, uh, the physical practice of yoga is often really heavy-handed. My taste in yoga is it should be very gentle. The best yoga. I take risks in my martial arts practice. You know, I do stuff where people throw me down on the hardwood floor. That I can tolerate. Going into a super extreme yoga posture quickly, I think is a crazy idea. So I highly recommend gentle practice. You're bringing the body into extreme positions that should be done mindfully. And one way to frame yoga is you're putting the body in postures and meditating on those sensations. You know, so what the mind is doing is more important than can I make myself into a better pretzel today? Um, and I think, huh, my time is up? Okay, so there is an explanation of this or on, if you go to, to my website, you can download a, an mp3 file of this, eastwestrehab.com. It's a breathing technique where you let your pelvic floor move with the breath, which is a way to let the breath go lower in the body. If the goal is to calm myself, 
with the breath, I want to let it go low, I want to let it go slow, and I want to lengthen the exhalation. So I didn't get to teach this, but you do have a handout and you also can download that or, or stream that MP3 file called the Pelvic Breath Lesson. Yes. having there's a lot of research indicating that yoga incorporating it into somebody's daily daily mainstream can in fact clear the mind and help in the healing process absolutely yes, yes I, I um, yoga you know, yoga therapy is likely to be a profession where people can get a license you know, in, the, over, in the next 20 years. Um, as it turns out, I'm familiar with a neuropsychologist that's incorporating yoga into their practice as mindfulness is incorporated into the practice to help and assist people, whether they have brain injuries or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, ju just to, you know, yoga and qigong could both be, you know, they both uh, well, you could call Qigong Chinese yoga. They work completely differently in terms of the physical practice, but a lot of the, the mental side of it is very, very similar. So I, I thank you for the gentle hook. Thanks for everybody. I, I, I'll be available during the break if you have questions. Thank you so much, Bill. Thanks.